steal her podcast. I'm so freaking pumped that you are here today. You are not going to believe it. I have a guest on today. First one ever. Definitely the first of many, but this one is going to be so, so special. And let's just introduce her. Okay. Welcome, Almost Doctor, Sierra Clark. My friend, Miss Sierra Clark, is a child of God, a daughter, a sister, a friend, a girlfriend, a God mommy, a medical student, and a stepmother. She attended undergrad at Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia, but she was born and raised in Indianapolis, my girl. She returned to Indianapolis for three years where she worked and prepared for her medical school. That's where her and I met. Then she moved to Ohio for medical school and she's still out there at Dayton right now. She's currently in her final year of medical school and she graduates May of 2021 to start pursuing her long lived dream of being an OBGYN. And when I tell you guys that I was, I came into this picture like right in the middle of it and she has wowed me every single step of the way. I don't even have an ounce of grit that this, this woman possesses. So to say that I am honored and so excited to have her on here today is a complete understatement. Everyone say hi to Miss Almost Doctor Sierra Clark. Hi. Oh, I'm so excited. She's so humble. I love her. Okay, so let's let's dig right in, right? So I'm gonna start off this interview by asking her where it all started. What led you, Sierra, to want to become a doctor? Very that uh, stereotypical case when it comes to this dream of being a doctor. I was that five-year-old little girl who mom bought her the doctor plastic little doctor set. And you know what? I never put it down from that day to this day. I, it wasn't a phase. I kept with it, pursued it in the back of my mind in high school by focusing on my science classes, which I loved. Went to college, was still wanting to do it. Everybody was so shocked and asked me, how was I going to do something like this? I don't even know any doctors um, other than my personal doctor. Um, Did you have a major in biology? Yes. Yes, right. That's what I thought. You were a chemist or a scientist for Halloween in 2015 and 16, and I was Wednesday Adams. Yes, yes, yes. I almost forgot about that. Oh, yes. My my love for science um, did help me continue on this path. And, you know, I, I just kept researching how to become a doctor along the way. And I looked up and I'm here. Yeah. No, they are right. No, she's lying. She's so humble. Tell me about the different challenges you faced when you were trying to get into medical school, when you were applying to medical school. Oh, man. The million and one challenges. Um. I would probably say the first challenge on my journey would have been around the same time that I was graduating high school, trying to go to college with the ultimate goal of going to medical school. Uh, my mom had been laid off her job that she had had for decades. Um, that caused a pretty big financial burden on our household, left me with the making the decision of if I was even going to go to college or stay home and try to hold the family down for a few years. Oh my gosh, chill. Yeah, I ended up making, after oh, a lot of sleepless nights and prayers, making the decision to go ahead and go to college, um, that I would be more help to them if I finished my ultimate career goals than putting them on hold and staying home. Um, that was probably the biggest thing, and it caused me a lot of um, stress throughout undergrad, but that still worked 
out okay. I think the second biggest thing was just my undergrad not being very um, helpful in preparing me for medical school. There's a lot of tests, exams, and things that you have to do by a certain time in order to get into medical school, which I knew nothing about until I graduated and had to research and prepare, which is why I went back to Indianapolis for three years to do all the preparation that I needed to do to even get into medical school. She's working a full-time job, too, at one point while going taking classes for her med school, and that is my, me being her coworker and friend knowing that information, but she's saying she came home to Indy to, you know, prepare. She is working her butt off and learning all of these things on her own. Tell the truth. This is all true. Um, so the first time medical school, um, I actually did not get in, which was very depressing and made me think, was I, was this supposed to be for me? Um, they told me how hard it was and how, and my statistics weren't even supposed to make it to medical school. I'm like, is it all true? Again, prayer and God told me that it couldn't have been the furthest for the truth. Um, so I buckled down and kept continued to work. Um, and the next year I applied and I got in. And here I am in my last year of medical school, ready to be an OBGYN in May. Oh, we're almost there. You can see the finish line. And like I said earlier in our text messages, you're a doctor in my eyes. Disclaimer, you guys, she's not a doctor. I am not a therapist. We are two awesome friends talking about our experiences. One quick question before I move on to the next one that we both have. What do you think your life would be like right now if you would have stayed home instead of going to college? Oh, it would have been a disaster. Not to say that this journey that I've been on was without any sadness, anxiety, depression, or stress, but I think I would probably be underneath the rock if I would have stayed home. Not only upset about where I was in life, but I know I wouldn't have been able to help my family to the extent that I was going to help them um, and make the changes that I thought I was going to be able to make. It just would have been a disaster. I wouldn't have been happy. And if I wasn't happy, I wouldn't have been good for anybody around me. And it just would have been horrible. One more question from you talking about that. How many, how many women do you think live in that story right now? Oh, too many. Girl, too many. Say it, please say it. Go ahead. Too many. I, I have met some along the way. I'm really big on mentorship because I had so many obstacles getting um, to where I got or where I am. And so I'm always picking up people who are in different phases that I have already been through and trying to uplift them and help them and give them the tools and resources I wish I had. And I have met those girls, those yes. high school girls who need to take care of the family and don't really. I think my biggest thing on my end is I had a very supportive family, although I was trying to stay home. Everybody around me, friends and family, was saying, no, go. Don't worry about that. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. So that was something kind of different than the other things I hear because I'm talking to girls whose family are saying, yeah, you're right. You need to stay here and work two jobs and help me take care of you and your siblings. And they end up making that decision and settling for things that they feel like are more achievable. It's honestly right on track. Do you think being a minority woman helped you or do you think that it hurt you? during the application process to med school? Hmm, wonderful question. Um, I do not feel like on the surface, being a minority hurt me getting into medical school. Yeah, on the just on the what's obvious or blatant or what I perceive firsthand, I didn't experience anything obviously that I felt like I know it's because of being a black woman that I didn't get this. Mm -hmm. On a deeper, yeah systemic, structural, how this society and country 
what it was built on and where it is yes i would say there that just that whole picture has created some obstacles that i don't feel like my um either white female or white male counterparts had to overcome i like it i love it i agree I have two questions and honestly they were it blew my mind because they were pretty much the exact same question and they're from two people that don't know each other at all but also again black black women friends that I have their questions I don't know why they blew my mind but they were like I said they were so similar one of them asked how does how do you handle situations when you feel like you're treated or viewed differently than your non-black coworkers in the hospital and then someone asked how do you feel about working around those who may or may not understand that they have a privilege or may or may not understand that racism is real? Both really, really good questions. I'm going to say just because, no, I'm going to start saying, first of all, racism is real. It's been real. It did not go into hiding out when Trump came in, in president. It's been around. This is what the country has built, been built on. This is the system they created it. How dare you think that it isn't still in the roots of this country? I mean, it's just relevant. But I say that all to say that as the country grows and changes, that it looks different. That is that is very true. And because that it looks different, I have to say in my 29 years of living, and specifically because you asked um, kind of in my work field, co-workers and things, I have to say that I have never blatantly experienced any racism. That is awesome to hear. Yes, it is. Um, I've heard plenty of stories. Uh, I know it's out there. I know what's going on. May have even witnessed some. Yeah, but I, I, I cannot personally give you a story about something a co-worker did to me yeah and i could relate it back to racism i can't but how do i feel now i can say that i experience uh there's another thing called microaggression and biases mm -hmm. those are just little subtle things that people are doing unintentionally subconsciously that is like probably not the most appropriate thing and uh, most of the time black people especially in professional settings just ignore them completely because it's like i'm not trying to be the angry black woman but deep down, I'm going home and I'm talking to my family about it because it was annoying. Those type of things I've experienced and they go on all the time. You opened the door and you said the quote, angry black woman. I was probably watching or listening to a podcast or you know, me. I read somewhere that, or listened, I believe it was Emmanuel Acho. Have you, have you, do you know him at all? You know, I love sports. No. He is an ex-NFL player, and he when everything started this year, he started a series called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. I mean, Joanna Gaines and Chip Gaines were his first, I think his first guests or something. But in, I don't remember who he was talking to, but he said, Black women have a completely different, they have to live by a completely different standards than white women. So I would, I agree. I, he didn't really, he didn't really tell me what that meant. He didn't really give any other details, but just like, just knowing you, and I, I don't know if you know this or not, but my neighbor for my entire life uh, was a black family and they were my best friends. Um, and that mom, and her name is Carolyn, that mom and I, her and I just had this conversation because my sister actually lives in that house now in our childhood home. So when I go to my sister's home, I still get to see, you know, that family that I grew up with. And, you know, her and I got to have some conversations and like, I just watching her my entire life, 30 years of life growing up, I know there's a difference. Can you like break down, tell me a little bit about that? I mean, cause like you just said, you had, 
a black as a black woman you don't want to come off as the angry black woman and you just don't talk as a like white people would be going off you know what i mean like any little annoyance we tend to go off so like i really need you to elaborate on that for me please like when did they teach you this how did they is it a personality trait is it just love it yes so the whole theory behind the angry black woman is that we just are sassier than other women we have more attitude than other women and we're more and overall more in, intimidating than other women and i do think the intimidation of black people in general is the reason why comments that are not even said at a loud in a loud voice or without cuss words or just to defend yourself and being your own advocate come off as scary a lot of times for the white counterpart receiving that information or whatever you had to say and um i think that fear or intimidation that they just naturally have in ground and i'm not calling them racist whatever it may be but it's just kind of like a a natural thing that some people have i'm not going to say all of them but if you have it then you'll take some of the most subtle comments that somebody said and you'll take them as an, an attack on you and then you'll go report them and they'll end up in all type of trouble when all i did was ask you could you not put your cup on my cubicle i should be able to ask you that and everybody else probably has asked you that but maybe just because i confronted you and maybe you've had your own trauma in the past where maybe somebody black did do something more aggressive to you now you feel like anytime somebody says something to you i really don't know why it is the way it is but it is something that some white people feel inside of them when they're confronted in a non-confrontational way by a black person that they're being angry and it usually has it has gotten people in trouble like i said it's gotten the reported mm -hmm. so now usually even if we are uncomfortable with something i'm not going to say we some people when they're uncomfortable with certain situations they won't confront it because they don't want it to they're being able to confront the situation or advocating for themselves to be misinterpreted yeah i just feel like you black women especially but black people have been oppressed i guess is probably the most politically correct way to say it for so long that this is so deep and i hope you get it here what i'm trying to say but what if it's like you guys have humility and love and like forgiveness ingrained into you like literally in your genes and your water carries memory right olaf said it so i mean like in your body right into your your veins and that white people don't have what do you what do you i mean what is that how does that make you feel or what do you, you know does that make sense or do you think i'm crazy when i say that <laughs> I no, just, you know what? I'm actually shocked that you um, feel that way because I feel like these are conversations that Black people have with themselves and we feel like it's something that we agree with and make comments on or statements about all the time, but we probably wouldn't think that um, somebody white would understand this theory. But yes, um, I mean, if you just look at how everything goes, it's not extremely common to come across Black people who are hateful and racist against like white people with all the oppression. Now this year it has happened a little bit more, but I will say definitely you're right, 100%. It is very for, especially, I mean, from in my experience, it's very uncommon to come across someone who hates white. They're more scared of white people than they are than they hate them. In my in my experience, right. And I guess this is not the safe word I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say whether you like them or dislike them because it's not about that for me. 
or with the point that I'm trying to make, it's not. It's more so that um, I guess treating them differently because of the race. That's what I'm trying to get to. Not whether you like them or like them, but I feel like I don't. And this is my personal experience, everybody. So please take everything with a grain of salt because I have not experienced every white person there is to know. And I have not experienced every black person there is to know. I can only go based on the people I have encountered in situations I have been in in the last 30 years. And it isn't a lot, you know? So based on that, I just kind of have come up with that. I feel like that it doesn't seem that way or it doesn't seem like it to the extent that it could be considering we have been oppressed for as many years. You would think that if you, if a certain race of people has treated you a certain way for centuries and centuries and centuries that naturally you would have a generation of people to hate that oppressor. And as I've always thought it was very unique that that's not the case. You have your few, but it's not the case. I agree there for sure. But also, I think it's also because you've you've had amazing minds like Martin Luther King, like Malcolm X, that come and say that, what is that going to get us? But I think that is something that we need to start talking about in the community or just maybe in general, like they've been oppressed for so long. They just have this in their blood. That's why they're like, you know what I mean? Like we can't even fathom the audacity of humility that you have do you know what i mean like and we can't even understand yeah, that's what i think is like you guys have you've had so many years of insane testing and insane god is just blessed not blessed <laughs> sacrificed you guys with so much you have so much more humility than we can't even understand unless you get out in the community talk to people put yourselves in different or you put yourself in different situations i mean that's personally that's kind of like where this year at least has led me to kind of thing so let's say we're going to question question seven now at what point in your life did you realize systematic racism was real we we both know re- racism is real on this on the, the surf on every level but how old were you when you realized that i mean purely on a systematic level racism is real i don't think i realized that until um college for those who do, you don't know um she did mention that i went to hampton university and it's actually a part of a group of colleges that were started back when black people could not go to college, the same college as white people to refer to as historically black colleges or universities. And there's a few in the country. And um, I was fortunate to be able to go to one. And um, I learned a lot about my history um, and also about systemic racism and just how to be great despite the barriers that are put here and how to still be successful and just a lot of encouraging people who generally want you to do great despite um, obstacles that may be in your way. Um, so I think what I went to college at 18. So somewhere between 18 and 22 is where I feel like I learned about it and then started paying closer attention to things that were going on around me and realized that it was true. Yeah. I mean, I think that's awesome that they, took time to teach you your real history because let's be honest american schools if you guys are listening to this you didn't know that american schools don't teach us real history in history class no um and you just said they they gave you tools to be able to succeed despite the obstacles they know that you would face is there is there anything that you learned there that really sticks out into your mind in that like in that arena you know what i i really think ultimately it was just just knowing that it exists it wasn't yeah. actually like do this per se it wasn't a playbook at all but just knowing that it exists and then caring enough um well you'll just start to pay attention and kind of realize on your own i'll need to do a little bit differently if i want to be successful in said field and you know what the fact that thought just made me think about even for 
it's not just black people the education of knowing it because some people learned it a lot earlier because they probably had to deal with it like i said i never had to deal with it i've always went to predominantly white up until college and still i just never experienced it so i was a little bit sheltered in that thought and i have white family members so it was confusing to me too because we just didn't know we just didn't do the we didn't <laughs> we didn't behave that way so um yeah so when i realized it in college learned was provided the education and me myself with the education would look at systems like the corporate job that we had together or mm-hmm. at, um, i even waitress looking at restaurants and just seeing how that work environment um played out just kind of looking at kids and seeing how that stuff plays out and just paying attention with the education i have and seeing how things just are ultimately different no matter what you do even down to insurance or buying a house or starting a business buying a home I think I already said that. But anyways, yeah, just paying more attention with the education I have and realizing that I'll just have to go about this a little bit differently. I think the fact that honestly, just this, just you saying that once you knew about it, that was your biggest impact. I mean, that how that is freaking powerful. No one that no one that listens to this podcast today can walk away saying they don't know that this is a real problem and that they can just go about their life doing nothing about it. So I think that's super freaking powerful. Um, you know what? If I can insert, I have to say that everybody is like so upset with Trump. But if and everything for me being a God fearing woman happens for a reason. And if I can say the biggest thing, like I had my in college the biggest thing that that man did, I think, for this country was to help other people know, besides just black people. Black people already knew it existed. Mm-hmm. A lot of non-white, I mean, non-black people didn't know it existed. They thought that it was just something we read about in the history books. It went away. That's not a thing anymore. And I think that he exposed that. I don't think he created it. I don't think he made it, you know, like this is what this country's been on. But I definitely think he exposed it for those who thought that it was gone. And that I'm grateful for like you like I just told you to to not know that it exists you can't do anything about it you can't even begin to grow or make a change if you don't even know that it's there and he did that and I'm grateful where were you when you found out or watched the George Floyd murder and tell me how that event impacted or changed your life this year you know what I can't remember the exact day but I do remember that I was at home when I was scrolling through Instagram and um the video had came up and my first reaction uh was anger um and that's keeping it cute yeah (laughs) that's keeping it real cute but yeah it was it was anger (laughs) it was i was so upset and by that time that wasn't like the first video that i had witnessed of somebody be murdered and you know what i was just drained after (laughs) after the anger faded out it never really turned to sadness for me, like most people say after they're angry. I was just drained because I'm dealing with these microaggressions and biases everywhere all the dang on time for years. Like that stuff has always been something I have dealt with and other people have. And on top of that, now when I try to go to something that I go to to laugh, because Instagram, I'm telling you, the people on there are funny. They're hilarious. I say. So I'm going on here to get a laugh and I can't even do that when I come home because I'm seeing different people get murdered all the time and it replays and it replays and it's one post after one post after one post. And then to blatantly just see that the impact that that had on me that I was going to have to filter out that stuff because I noticed I was that like anger in me. Um, I would I was taking it to work. I had a nasty attitude. 
even with the microaggressions and the biases that are supposed to be small little nitpicks, they weren't hitting as small anymore. They were hitting more big and making me even more drained. And so I kind of had to um, filter my timeline in a way where I wasn't getting as much access to that, or at least being mindful that depending on how it was advertised, what I was about to see. And I do not click on them anymore since that video. So all the bad things that have happened since then, I do not even know anything about. And it could be bad that I'm ignorant of stuff that is going on in our country, but my my heart and soul can't take it. And I have to think about me at this point in my self-care. So I don't even know a lot about what's going on since then because I am still at the drain point. I... Um, probably, I don't, I don't know. This could be a bad thing. This could be a good thing. I feel like I've like, you guys, have, you've, you, I have one other close friend. Her name is Nia. Um, I, and I feel like, and I talk to both of you quite often. I feel like you guys have passed me the baton. You guys are like, I'm done. I'm tapped out. Like I, you know, ever since George Floyd, I'm tapped out. I can't do anything. I'm like, all right, I got you. I'm doing I'll do the research. I'm going to watch it and I'm going to say something. But I've had some really hard convert. It's not just like handy dandy conversations with my friends. I've had some really hard conversations with white Christians. I'm calling you out because I've had a lot of conversations with white Christians that still don't think racism is real anymore. They think it was left in the sixties. They think it was, it's either that or number two, here's number two, the biggest one is they blame the sin. They blame the issue. Don't run. Hold up. Cause this is a Christian podcast. So I'm going to throw some Bible scripture at you guys today to every white Christian person, whoever says to me about sin and why the person's getting killed. I'm gonna read you. I didn't know we were going to church today, oh, but I'm I excited. Either. I didn't know where we were going, but we're going. Scripture is from Luke chapter 13. Every white Christian that has ever said, well, he was a thug. She was with someone that was a thug. Well, he ran. Okay, this is what Jesus has to say. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilot, which by the way, he was a Roman judging official, had murdered some people from Galilee. People from Galilee were typically Jewish. As they were offering sacrifices at their temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked? Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died in the tower in Salaam? When the tower in Salaam fell on them, were they just the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. So again... Go read Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. But even Jesus says, and he's talking to Pharisees, he's saying, if he murdered, even if he murdered someone else, Jesus says he's still not the worst sinner alive. So, yeah, I wasn't planning on going to church, but I'm just saying, I'm just going to throw that out there. What are your thoughts on that? No, I love it. And I, I love that you hit on that. I think that's one of the most frustrating and draining things that the not only people, but the media does, pointing out what somebody did that wasn't pointing not showing them to be in the best light to try to justify murder and um i don't think anything nothing should just justify murder nothing and i think you should really have to look deep in your heart if you think that anything other than murder should justify murder and some people don't even agree with that but i mean i, I mean ideally somebody has a gun to your head and you also have a gun then maybe i can see that but um you sold drugs back when you were 18 and now you're 25 just trying to go get a pop no no listen that's not justifiable um you sold drugs last night and you're going to get a pop say that or sold drugs this morning pull me um you can pull me over with the drugs in the trunk then take my ass to jail please i'm sorry 
because last time I this is what this is something I've said on on social media. I've had to I've had to limit my social media account to a lot because I'll just get into these arguments. I'm just like last time I checked in the United States of America, you were innocent until proven guilty, and these cops are just judge judge jury and prosecution out in these streets, man. Ain't that it? it? It's just not fair. It's it's you're never supposed to justify a crime with murder. Lock them up, give them a ticket, take them to jail, let them sit in front of a jury. But murder is not because I rather deal with the consequences uh, and the charges that come with along with running than if you're successful. Yeah, then I mean I'm gonna die. You know, and, and there a lot is it. Am I wrong in saying that when if a black person were to get pulled over, I have better chances to run and get away to survive in this cop car both of them sound like a deadly situation to me unfortunately so i don't know you're literally flipping both of those situations um it's sad that just cooperating is equally as deadly as running so um yeah this is just my own side note i don't feel like running is enough to shoot somebody unless your life is in danger that's when you have the right as a somebody who's hired to protect and serve it's only when your life is in danger. And I think that kind of goes back my personal opinion to that intimidation piece. I don't believe that all of these cops are racist. I think it goes down to that ingrained fear of black people. That that same thing that, that happens at work and the person gets called the angry black woman. I, I do feel like some of these police officers are fearing for their life and they're acting like they were taught whenever you feel like your life is in danger that you get to kill. But they're not really in danger, although they're probably scared in real life and to their heart. And that's why they thought what they did was the right thing. But if they could take off these glasses or whatever, the whatever vision they're looking through and looking at a situation like when a black person is talking to you, that it's going to automatically be something, an attack or deadly, then I don't, I think they would react differently. Most of them, some of them are complete jerks, but I think the others, it's it's the intimidation piece and you know what this is what our country was built on they have been set up to be like this and it's going to take a lot of training and education and exposure for people to realize that not every encounter with a black person is going to result in you being dead so you don't have to react like that all the time i'm loving the fact that you brought that up leads right up to that what do you want the white suburban christian woman to know about systemic racism today so what did you what do you want me to know? What did you want me to know back in 2000? Was that 15 when you sat me down at the bar? Is that 2014? Uh, that would have been 15. Yeah, I think it was because it was right after Eric Gardner, right? Yeah. Yep. So her little, her, she's talking about microaggressions this whole time and like biases. She got like two or three of them for way too many from me one day. It was like, okay, girl, <laughs> let's go. Wait, no. Mm-mm. I like you too much to be for to be hearing that from you. <laughs> so she sat me down. We went to an hour lunch. Y'all, I had like three beers because it was uncomfortable. It was an uncomfortable conversation, but I thank her so much for that. So what do you want the suburban white Christian woman to know about systemic racism? Before I start on that, I want you guys to know that the woman that you're listening to is amazing. Because since she brought up that conversation, I wanted to know that this is not a fake or a front or doing something for likes or for followers or anything about why she's passionate about this. Because like she said, back in 2015, way before she was the workout training queen on top of her stuff and this awesome podcast host, like before all of this, she was confronted, sat down and she listened 
She did not listen to respond. She genuinely listened to everything that I had to say and didn't even have really a response that day. She had to sit with it and digest it. And she came to the opinions that she has now later. Like, Amen. that's, and I, I mentioned that because that's half of what all someone could ask for. For you to be open to listening and educating yourself and trying to understand trying to genuinely understand without putting your own thoughts and things that have been instilled and you just going in with an open mind and whether it's a conversation or a book or a documentary, just literally exposing yourself to the information, sitting with it for however long it takes you because everybody's different to sit with it and then coming up with your own opinion, not what, how you were raised, not what you see on social media, not what your friends think, not what your spouse thinks, not what nobody else thinks. Literally sit with it and expose yourself with it and come up with your own opinion. Pray on it too. We can't forget that. Pray on it and then come up with your own opinion and move forward with that. And if you come to the conclusion that it's real and that it's not okay and that you should do something about it, then do that. And no, it's not for you to go and be the next Martin Luther King. If that's not you, that's not what we're asking. It could be as simple as exposing the next person who was like you were. It could be one person. One person could turn into two. You don't, you don't have to go start a podcast. No. Just educating yourself and exposing others is really all that I would want somebody to do. Yes, I love it. I love the simplicity, but also the impact, though, because honestly, just one person staying up, standing up to the uncle or mom or sister, you know what I mean? When they just say those little tiny, silly things will start change because we both know that this starts at home. It wasn't you and I, like you said, you've never seen a big act of racism, but I was taught one and one of the reasons why I am the way that I am. My mom, awesome person that she is, taught me to respect every single human doesn't matter if they're the janitor or the ceo you treat them the same so i was able to see my whole life regardless if i even if i still had biases from my family i was still taught that basic truth so that's something that i personally got to hold on to but even though my mom taught me that we would go home or go to a family event and behind closed doors did you see this did you see you know what i mean so it's at home where this is actually the issue and everybody knows that Yes, you said it. You said it. If you can, you don't have to start a podcast because it's, hey girl, it's scary out here. Like, <laughs> I'm not, definitely not for everybody. However, I freaking love it. Um, If you are, you know, if you want to go for it, but if you can't even imagine or fathom doing that, please don't. Literally, don't be so, don't get overwhelmed. Last question that you are the first guest, but I'm going to ask everybody. What's a scripture or a verse that fuels your heart, even on your hardest days? Yes. Um, mine go-to is always Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It, you know what? And I'm just going to say it for those because I'm not going to assume all of you guys have the Bible memorized because I don't. So trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do. And he will show you which path to take. <laughs> A Amen. Oh my goodness. That's one of mine too. I'm glad you read it out loud. It still gives me chills every time. 
You know what? Because nothing ever makes sense and we don't always know why and things are frustrating and it's some, not always made, it's not always left up to us to know. We use such a small percentage of our brain. I think God designed it for a reason. Like there is still majority of our brain that we do not use, that we don't know how to use. And that's because he doesn't want us to know it all. He'll give us the access when he wants to. Just trust in him mm-hmm. and he will order your steps. And that's what we should just all do. And if you are doing that wholeheartedly, if you're literally taking that wholeheartedly, I think everything that we've talked about will be easier to do. Trust his steps, not mom's steps, not dad's steps, not auntie's steps. Trust him and follow him and you'll make the right decision. You won't have to ask. But I did want to add one more thing when I said uh, what I want people to take away from this. In addition to like educating yourself and exposing yourself and exposing others, um, I just want to highlight, do not always look to your black friends to educate you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think um, that can be draining. Some people are passionate about it, like me. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love having these conversations. I love talking about it. I mean, I can do this all day, but we don't have all that type of time. Everybody else is not like that. And it is not the responsibility to do that. We are tired. <laughs> we are tired. Educate yourself. The information is out there. That is super important. So white friends, some some things, some resources I want to tell you guys about. I mentioned one earlier. It's amazing. Really quick, if you like videos, it's on Instagram and he has a YouTube. It's Emmanuel Acho. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, his, his name is his Instagram, Emmanuel Acho, but he has a YouTube channel called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. He actually just released a book. I'm getting ready to buy it. Um, I plan on um, honestly giving one away next month. If I, I'm sure I'll love it. I just haven't read it yet. So I want to read it first. Um, Also the book called White Fragility is on Amazon, is on Audible. That's really helpful. I read that a couple of years ago. I re-listened to it this year. Um, Our third one is actually one of the reasons why Sierra and I are doing this podcast and this interview is because this amazing woman and I, she talked about the fact that she loved mentorship. Obviously that is one of one of the things that we bond over because it's one of my favorite things as well. We are going to be starting a racial reconciliation conversation. And I thought I was going to be like, for sure having it in person. I'm like, yeah, local. And Sierra... <laughs> Then the pandemic happened, <laughs> like the pandemic started getting worse and worse. And Sierra was like, Ashley, virtual. I was like, oh my goodness, mind blown. This is why you have to have community and friends because inside your own little mind, it is not the best. Anyway, so Sierra and I are going to be nailing down the details of our virtual, I'm going to call it a summit. Is that like, what do we want to call that? Virtual retreat, virtual summit? Do we I like it, whatever you call it. The goal behind this is to do what we did today, powerful dialogue. There'll be a topic. We are looking at the first week of December, right? The first weekend? Yes. And it'll be on Zooms, similar to what her and I are doing right now. Obviously, you guys are on a podcast. You won't see the video, but her and I can see each other. You can see her pretty face. Um, And like I said, we'll have a topic. It's really going to be, the goal is to be getting all different kind of races of women. This is a women event, women empowerment. And we're going to have dialogue. We're going to get into, like Sierra and I did today, some hard topics. And we're going to try to get everybody to talk. We're not, her her and I aren't going to be leading a presentation. We're not going to have any fancy, I don't do, what are they? 
what Microsoft PowerPoints. I don't do anything like that. <laughs> so we're just going to be using the power of dialogue and trying to see if we can come together, right? Sierra, what would you say that you're, you know, why would you, why are you kind of like wanting to get involved in that or wanting to maybe try this? I think it goes back to me saying that exposure is everything. Okay. And um, I think you, and I think it's important for Black people as well to hear sometimes the thoughts of why people think the way that they think as well. Because everything isn't always as simple as, I hate black people. It's, it's not always that simple. It's usually a little bit more complicated and a lot more deep or a lot different. So I think for both of us to understand both part isn't um, important. So I think, um, like she said, all races should attend. Um, and I don't think this has to be just a black person thing. I mean, if you're well, black or whatever else and you have your, yeah. yeah. All races. I want all of us. I want red, purple, black, white, yellow, pink, whatever you identify. I mean, yes. I don't care what color you are, okay? Um, I do think, like, I, I am going to be advertising it and talking about it all colors. Because, and I, you know, just because I think it's, definitely something I don't know we'll see where it goes guys we're excited about it. I think it's we're gonna make it a once a month we're gonna try at least once a month and have a different topic because there's so much so many topics like obviously the systematic racism there's women inequality just in general there's I mean don't even get me started and especially the OBGY future OBGYN over here the just statistics on black women in labor and the the children I have I have two acquaintances that I know from this life that have children that with cerebral palsy from medical malpractice. So, you know, it, there's so many topics. I'm so excited. So many, so many, the list can go on. By the way, something I even just found out that Indiana is number three for maternal mortality in the country, by the way. So. Are you so excited to get back here and do your work, girl? I am, I am, I'm so excited. All right. Okay, you guys, we're signing off. Thank you so much for listening. And just remember to always, always feel your heart, feel your mind, feel your body so you can free her soul. Have a good one. Girl, I cannot tell you what it means to me that you are here and listening to this show. I am so grateful for you. And I just want to say that if you did love it or if it tugged at your heart at all, please feel free to share this with your friends or better yet, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so I can personally shout you out and thank you. Thank you so much for being on this journey, friend. Talk to you soon.